Welcome to DLSN, a podcast brought to you by McGuire Woods and Seven Mile Advisors. DLSN promotes the advancement of women in private equity and finance through conversations with women leaders and rising stars in the private equity and finance space. These conversations provide both insights and practical takeaways to inform your deal work and enhance the culture of your organization. If you're ready to drive the industry toward a more inclusive and diverse environment, then it's time to come to the table. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Deal Us In. I'm your host, Phyllis Young, and I'm joined by my co-host, Kelsey Hitchcock. Today's topic is a very important issue, diversity and inclusion. And we are joined by two of our colleagues to discuss diversity and inclusion in private equity and finance. I'll let our colleagues introduce themselves, and we'll start with Merlandi. Hello, everyone. My name is Merlandi Telford. I'm a partner in our debt finance department at McGuire Woods here in New York, mainly representing banks and other private equity funds. I mainly represent banks and private equity funds in both secured and unsecured transactions, both term loan and revolving credit facilities. My main area of expertise is healthcare financing, but I do have experience in all sorts of other industries, including manufacturing. Thanks, Merlandi. Dami, do you like to introduce yourself next? Yes, thanks, Phyllis. Hi, everyone. My name is Dami Ozentade, and I am a third-year M&A associate at the Dallas office of Woods. My practice is predominantly focused on private equity and M&A. Great. Thanks, Dami. Thank you all for joining us today. We're looking forward to speaking with you. I've got the first question, and I was wondering if each of you could tell us what's attracted you to deal work. Maybe we'll start first with Merlandi. Sure. I guess the better question is what attracted me to the, to the legal industry. I was always interested in finance and economics. In fact, economics was my major in college, just the aspect of how the economy runs, and I minored in financial economics, so I had more of a major, and sorry, not minored, but a specialty in financial economics. So that was something that always intrigued me all throughout college and just learning more about the legal industry and having the opportunity to actually work at that the law school at my university really exposed me to the legal industry. It's more than just litigation, which I had very limited experience with attorneys growing up in South Florida, and I did not realize outside of what I saw on television that lawyers did so much work. And so that really what prompted me to become an attorney, just really being able to kind of create a deal, put a deal together, make sure that I was finding great financial solutions for my clients, and that really is what attracted me to deal work. Dami, what attracted you to deal work? I think for me, as soon as I decided that I was going to be an attorney, I knew pretty early on that I wasn't going to be a litigator just because I just thought it was way too litigious for me. I like getting a deal done. And so in law school, I pretty much just tailored all of my classes to a transactional track, so to speak. And so when everyone else was doing moot court, I actually represented my law school in a regional transactional law meet. And that was really my first exposure to M&A work and private equity. And I liked how we were able to come together, simulate a law firm, and try to make a deal happen for our clients. 
And so that really was what triggered my interest in it. And I'm just glad that I got the opportunity to live it out and do the work that I'm doing now. I think we can all relate to that. You know, at least the parties have a common goal in this case. Merlandi, I have a follow-up question to you. You know, how do you think your background and your experience, including, you know, your educational background and your work experience, have prepared you to be effective in what can be a challenging environment for women of diverse backgrounds? I guess the answer to that is, is, is twofold. One being my actual ethnic background. My parents are from Haiti. They're Haitian immigrants. So coming to the United States, it was not an easy trek to come to the United States, learn the language, get jobs, get as much education as they can afford, and also raise children here, being from a completely different culture. And the two things that I was told at home was always that you know, like America is a really great country, although we all know it does have its challenges, but it's a privilege to be here. It's not a right. You're privileged to have this opportunity to be in this country, and you have to make the best of your advantages. You have the opportunity to go to school. I had the opportunity to get my primary education for free, and I had to make the most of that education. So it was basically, you really had to work hard and persevere. So I think those are really great foundations that really helped me while I embarked on my journey through undergraduate and law school. And even while at undergraduate law school, I always worked, which most people never inquired about this aspect of my life. So what did you do? What did you do before you went to law school? What did you do before you went to college? I actually worked. I worked doing customer service, which people don't think, oh, how does that relate to the legal industry? Well, it really is very pivotal for the legal industry in the sense that the legal industry and what we do as lawyers is to make sure that we represent our client and we provide the best client service, basically the best customer service. So that's what I was doing while I was before law school, before college, and while I was in school is always working, always making sure that I provided the best to my clients. And just another aspect of that is, as I mentioned, my parents were working class immigrants. We couldn't really afford to send me to school on a free ride. So I really had to be resourceful. Think of ways to finance my education, which is basically what I do now. I help companies finance whatever it is that they need to finance, whether it's an acquisition, whether it's just general business purposes. So just having that background, resilience, learning about resilience, learning about hard work, learning about client service from an early age and finding creative solutions. So that's what I do. I find creative solutions for my client. I don't believe the answer is no. The answer is, what are the obstacles? What are my options? And then we decide the best path forward. That's an incredible response. I think that all of the characteristics that you mentioned are, you know, it's, it's the stuff that they don't teach you in law school that is really mm. characterizes you as an attorney, I think. I don't think I specifically mentioned this, but flexibility, the, the ability to pivot. I know coming in as a young attorney, we all had methods of doing things and you learned how to do things. For instance, you have a checklist when you first start off. I'm sure everyone is familiar with a checklist and you follow the checklist, you hit everything on the checklist and then you know you can close a deal. Unfortunately, not every deal is that way. I remember as a young associate, one of the guarantors was formed maybe two years prior for an acquisition that never happened. 
the company decided, you know, like, we'll just leave it. They didn't dissolve the company. And at the time, closer, when we got to closing, it was not in good standing. The company decided they did not want to have it in good standing. They were not going to go through the trouble of that. But they also did not yet dissolve it. And whether or not we can close the deal with this guarantor who was not in good standing. Traditionally, everyone knows you need all your guarantors, all your loan parties to be in good standing. What we just decided at that point, this entity will no longer be a guarantor. We didn't really care about that entity. The client didn't care about that entity. It didn't have any value add. If you're so strict on following a set prescribed way of doing things, then you would not close your deal. This is an entity that's not important to the client. It has no value add. It will be dissolved. The way to get around that is that we just went ahead and we put a post-closing requirement to have that entity dissolved post-closing. We can get the deal closed. So it's just really being flexible. And also, as I mentioned, resilience. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to make mistakes. And the way that I deal with this or I tell people to deal with this, it's, it's okay to make mistakes as long as you catch your mistakes. So catch your mistakes and try not to repeat the same mistakes. So it's okay to make mistakes. You learn from mistakes. Try to catch it. Try to learn from it. Have other people review your work. Give yourself opportunity to make mistakes. And when I say give yourself opportunity to make mistakes, if you have a deadline, set internal deadlines for yourself. If you know that you have to provide a document to the partner Friday, try to get it done Wednesday so you have an extra two days to proof it, to have someone else proof it for you. Make sure that whatever mistakes that you may have made are caught and corrected. So I think really those are the two things, flexibility and resilience, I think are two key components besides the ones I mentioned earlier. Yeah, I think those were all really great responses. Maybe transitioning just a little bit, a few statistics. The latest report issued by the ABA, the 2019 Profile of the Legal Profession, shows that the ratio of men to women lawyers is nearly two to one. 64% of lawyers are men and 36% are women. Even more sobering are the statistics regarding minority lawyers. 85% of lawyers are white compared to 77% of the U.S. population. Whereas only 5% of lawyers are African-American, 5% are Hispanic, and 3% are Asian. So clearly there's a lot of work to be done to diversify the industry. Understanding that you are among an underrepresented group of lawyers, this question is for all of our guests. Could you share with us, you know, kind of given those statistics and that background, what would you say to a young woman who is considering a career in law and, and in being a deal maker from that on, based on that background, what would you say to a young woman who's considering a career in deal making and, you know, kind of against that background of what seems to be sort of a diversity challenge background? And start with Dami. So those really are very sobering statistics. And if there was one thing that I would say to a young lady looking to considering whether or not to come into this industry, it'll, it'll be something more like commercial and say, do it, you know, just do it. Because really the only way we can have more women at the table is to have more women show up and consistently keep showing up. And so I'd say, you know, just take the plunge and and do it. It's going to have its own challenges, but we really need more women to just show up. Great. Melandi, what do you think? Yeah, for me, 
in this country, you're going to be a minority no matter where you are, if you're a woman of color. And so don't let this stop you, whether you decide to live in a certain neighborhood, whether or not you decide to attend a certain school or pursue a, a specific career. Don't let the fact that you are a minority stop you. Whatever you want, you should really go after it. And I think in this country, sometimes we do a disservice to, to women and sometimes people of color. And we tell them, oh, you know, you're going to have this glass ceiling or it's going to be so difficult for you. It's going to be so hard for you. And I can remember growing up and partly maybe because my parents are from a different country. That was never something that was supposed to stop me. My mother always told me, you know, the two deterrents, and maybe this is, again, due to her background, is education and money. So if you really pursue your education and you make money, <laughs> you have money, unfortunately, financial resources is important, that you can accomplish a lot. Not to say that there aren't hindrances or difficulties, but I, I want people to not think of those difficult aspects of their life. I, wanna, I want them to think about the reward. And if you focus on the reward and you really just strive to work hard, I think you can do it. As I said previously, there might be roadblocks, there might be difficulties. You may not be able to climb the wall, but maybe you may be able to dig a tunnel, walk around the wall, fly over the wall, find a way to accomplish what you want, and don't let people's small-mindedness stop you from accomplishing your goals. It is your goal, it is your life. Life sometimes can be difficult, it can be challenging, but it can also have its rewards. And if you stay focused on the rewards and really, really pursue something that you want, you can be successful at it, even if you're the first. It's okay to be the first because you'll bring along the second, third, fourth, and fifth behind you. Yeah, I completely agree, Merlandi. I find that, yeah, first off, if you cut, if you focus on that negative that I'm, I'm going to be the only one, I'm the first one, and you get intimidated by that, that just perpetuates the problem. So you have to get over that mindset. And I think you can use it actually to your advantage if you're the only, you know, the only woman or the only minority because, or one of a few, you go into a crowd, you go into a situation, networking event, client meeting, all eyes may be on you for that very reason. So you can use that to your advantage and use that as your time to shine and to perform and, you know, really show people, you know, what you're talking about. So I think there's even ways when you are the only one or only one of a few to use that to your, your advantage. And like you all have said in some different form or fashion, you really just have to put yourself out there and be resilient, not take no, don't take things personally. I think just in general, just you have to, in order to keep advancing in your career, whether you're you know, being a, a banker or a private equity professional, or an attorney, I mean, those are just skills that I think you need to have in general to put yourself out there, have a thick skin. It's all business. Don't take things personally and just kind of stick it out. In some ways, you know, the longer you stick it out, you know, the more you will succeed and get ahead. And it's just a matter of having that positive mindset about it. Yeah. And, and again, Phyllis, as you mentioned, not being afraid of a little failure. People hate the word failure because it seems like doomsday and maybe failure is not the appropriate terminology here. But just having a bit of setback. It's okay to have a setback. It's okay to go to a networking event 
not really know what to say or what to do and learn from that doesn't stop you from going to the next one and the next one after that. And just learning, being comfortable in your own skin, being comfortable in who you are, learning, you know, learning about the room, learning about potential clients. It's okay. Thinking of talking points for the next event. Now you, you have talking points for yourself, thinking about who will attend the next event. What are some of their interests? What do we have in common? And, you know, go from there. Yeah. I like what you said about not being afraid of failure, too, because sometimes if something doesn't work out, it's not because of you or because of them. Maybe it just wasn't the right time or the right situation. So you can you can go back maybe in a month or six months and maybe then's the right time. But you know, don't take no for an answer and you don't take it personally. If someone does tell you no, you think of another opportunity. So maybe moving along... Dami, what do you think, in what ways do you think inclusion is important to someone in your particular role? Can I just say that I really appreciated what Mirandi said about not letting the wall stop you. She said, fly over the wall. I think that that, that was a new one for me. I'm going to have to write it down somewhere and say to myself all, all the time, but yeah, to your question, Phyllis, I think it's absolutely important. As a young associate, when I joined the Dallas office, I was the only female associate in my group. And even though I really, I work with very, very fantastic, I work with a very fantastic group of men and, you know, they've been great and all. I would say that it's been very different now having you, Phyllis, in the office and, you know, just having a mentor and somebody that I can relate a lot with who looks closer to what I look like and just being that mentor for me at the office, it just really goes a long way. So it is absolutely very important. And one thing I'll say that I've really appreciated about the firm is just the Women in Private Equity Initiative and having that, knowing that they're all the women and I'm not alone has just gone a long way in making me feel included and feel like I can do this and, you know, thinking that if other women have gone ahead of me and are trailblazers and are able to balance this very intense workload that we often have, then I can do it as well. Well, I appreciate you Uh, saying that, Dami. I think it is, you know, for me personally, even having when I was growing up as an attorney, it was important to me to have female partner, uh, women role models that were attorneys that you could kind of look up to and see how they were doing things. Not just see, sometimes it was the legal work and how they ran deals and that sort of thing, but also kind of just how they orchestrated their lives. I think, especially, you know, as we as corporate lawyers, you know, we're, we're juggling a lot and you have a lot of balls in the air, whatever saying you want to use. So, you know, we're doing a lot. So sometimes just kind of seeing how other people in similar positions are handling things, you know, it helps you and helps motivate you, I think. Absolutely. Absolutely. To add a bit more regarding inclusion, a lot more organizations, law firms, and teams are now showing more of a commitment to improving diversity in a workplace. And that's great. However, you know, without inclusion, diversity just becomes a box that's being checked. I read somewhere that diversity without inclusion doesn't work, and I tend to really agree with that. For junior associates, inclusion goes beyond being 
stacked on a deal. You know, it's great to be stacked on a deal, but inclusion also fosters a culture of open communication, and it ensures that everyone on the team has a voice that they feel empowered to share. I know no one asked me this question, but I, I think something else that many people don't think of, or maybe some people do, is that inclusion is also having those who don't look like you include you as part of the conversation, invite you out to the happy hours, or invite you to the client lunches, enlist your feedback on a deal, on a strategy. I think it's very important, and if, even if you act, even if it appears to be a more junior associate, ask them what are their thoughts, because they come with new ideas, they come with fresh ideas that you may not have thought of, or inquire of a white male, or a woman, or an Asian woman, or whatever, just hear the broad spectrum of ideas and thoughts so you can get the best strategies for everyone involved in the deal team. I think it's a disservice when we exclude certain people. I'm not saying that you necessarily have to follow everyone's ideas or invite the entire office to one happy hour, but if you find yourself constantly inviting this one associate next door to you, why don't you go across the hall and invite the person that you never have a conversation with you never know when you can make deal connections. It may be someone in a completely different practice area than you who may have a client who may need your service. I went out with someone who practices real estate. I rarely do real estate, but we had the opportunity to do a financing transaction for real estate. And had I not gone to this client event with this real estate attorney in New York, I probably would not have done this real estate deal, which is quite interesting. And it was very beneficial both to me, the client, and the other attorney. You know, I had the opportunity to work on a real estate transaction. He had the opportunity to have some support and also show that his client, the McGuire Woods, is a great, great, fantastic firm where we work across offices, we work across deal teams to provide the best service. But I think it's important to include everyone in the office, invite everyone out, talk to everyone, learn about everyone's practice area as much as possible. You're right. I think for everyone, really, it's kind of human nature to stay with what you're doing. So it's all of us should have that mentality of getting outside of our usual habits, reaching out. Uh, yeah, you'll be surprised. I've been surprised sometimes when talking to people with a deal they worked on or may have a connection they know or they have, or it's just kind of amazing when you talk to people and get to know them. And at the end of the day, I think having that inclusive environment where we're involving everyone and getting their input. At the end of the day, we are delivering that high level of client advice and optimal you know, client service and client advice. So I think having that inclusive environment at the end of the day just adds even more so to the service that we're delivering to our clients. Merlandi, is there a lesson that you've learned that you, you'd like to share that you think it's required for success in deal work? I agree, really understanding your client business. I know when we start off as attorneys, we think it's only the legal work, but part of your legal work is to really understand your client's needs and desires for that specific transaction and making sure that you, that you provide the best services. And I always say this, sometimes your clients don't know what's important to them until they understand the ramifications of the specific action. So your client may say something is not important. It's your duty to educate your client as to why something is or is not important because they may not realize the ramification of the specific action. And I think sometimes we 
as attorneys, you have to remember to do that. Yes, your client, you know, going back to the client service, your client is always right. And yes, I agree. But they're paying you for a service. They're paying you to look at this transaction and tell them what is really going on. They're paying you to read this specific language and what does it truly mean? Because you can read something and think think it means one thing, but then based on some case law, based on something that happened, some legislation that came out recently, it can mean something completely different. And it's your job to educate your client on that. So not being afraid to tell your client, I hear where you're coming from, but do you know X, Y, Z? Do you understand X, Y, Z? And not necessarily to to insult your client. And I'm not saying anyone should ever insult their client, but just to really educate yourself. And it's okay sometimes to disagree with your client, provide the best service, but it's okay to disagree with them and not being afraid. And I think that was one of the mistakes early on in my career is that I always assumed the client was right. And they're paying you to have a differing opinion. They're paying you to educate them on something. And you should not be afraid to challenge your client in a respectful way so that they really understand the ramifications of their decisions. I think that's something that is very important, maybe not in the very beginning of your career, because I don't think you quite have the expertise, but as you progress in your career, I think it's very important. Another lesson that I learned as an attorney is not to let your mistakes derail your future progression. As women, as attorneys, we tend to be perfectionists and focused on everything and making sure everything is perfect, that when there is a minor mistake, for instance, an improper comma, we so focus and so overanalyze that one mistake that it impedes our progression toward the ultimate goal, which in this instance may be closing a deal, closing a deal on time to have funds for an acquisition. And so, yes, you made that mistake, Hopefully you caught it or someone on your team, which we have several lines of secondary reviews, that someone catches that mistake. You say, oh, wait, that was a a minor comma error. It doesn't mean to derail the deal. Let's move on. Let's get this deal closed and let's get it closed on time. That's a lesson that early on I had to have everything perfect. Everything had to be perfect. And yes, it has to be great and perfect. But in the interim, to get to perfection, you have to make mistakes. That's why you don't close a deal in 24 hours. In most instances, you have at least a week. So you can draft the document, correct all mistakes, and then close. But you don't derail the closing of that transaction, that week deadline, because you made a mistake on day one. You learn from that mistake, you correct that mistake, and you move forward. Merlady, I really think that relates to something that Dom, you were saying earlier about about just showing up. And I think everyone's kind of set on this recording today. And that's a lot of times we hold ourselves back and say, we're not ready to go to that meeting or put our application in for that opportunity or seek that particular input or opportunity. But nothing is ever, ever falls in line exactly as you want it to. And you never are going to progress unless you're taking those opportunities, unless you're pushing that deal along, unless you're pushing yourself along. So I guess, Domi, you had talked earlier about the need to show up. 
you know, why do you think it's important? Is that part of the reason you think it's important for women to pursue careers in deal work? So there has been some progress, you know, there continues to be a shortage of women in deal work. And there are a number of reasons why it's important for women to pursue careers in deal work. I think most obviously is the fact that, you know, women bring a very unique perspective to a deal. We're able to help identify blind spots, cause paradigm shifts, help improve the diversity of thought, and just overall enhance the deal. But I think in addition to that, raw women also just forges a way for the new generation of women coming behind. Uh, hopefully the next generation is able to see that the male dominance in the industry is not a deterrent from pursuing their career in deal work. And collectively, the more women they are in deal work, you know, just help build a tower of women whose shoulders boost the next generation. I think that's definitely true. And, you know, you're touching on something that I think Merlandi mentioned a couple of times earlier as well is, you know, I think the ability to find creative solutions. And I think sometimes your background or your perspective lend themselves to finding those creative solutions. And speaking of creative solutions in different situations, what has it been like for working in virtual teams during this pandemic? I guess, Merlandi, can we start with you? I think it, it might be a little bit easier for me than some because of the nature of my practice, how I've worked since starting day one at McGuire Woods, worked across deal teams in different offices. So I've constantly had a deal team where I was working with a paralegal in Charlotte or another attorney in Chicago, opposing counsel in California. So I'm accustomed to working in this sort of virtual space where you're using email, telephone, video conferencing calls, that it's just almost second nature because that's what I've been doing for so many years. I think the one challenge, which I did not have to experience because although I was working virtually, I was working in my office, is the noise and distraction <laughs> at home. Children crying, dogs barking. <laughs> These are things that I was not accustomed to. And you just really just have to, as I say, you have to be flexible. So being flexible, if there's someone in the home, I don't know if I'm sure people have spouses and children or other loved ones in their home, is telling people, I, I need to be on a conference call from two to five. Can you, you know, go outside and play? Can you do this? I'm going to lock myself in the room and no one come in, no one knock. Different things like that you do. I think that was probably the most challenging for me is just really kind of learning how to do all of that, having other people around you with their own lives and doing their own things and really being flexible with your spouse, being flexible with your parents and children. That has been a challenging part, but as I mentioned, I'm always up for the challenge. <laughs> so finding new ways to do things is always intriguing. So that's what I've been doing. Yeah, and, and I do really agree with what Milani just said because I've also learned to, uh, to your Milani, I've, I've learned to bribe my kids now and just <laughs> try to get them out of the house so I can attend one conference call or another. But uh, yeah, but I mean, I think just the nature of our job also naturally tends, lends itself to being able to work 
remotely, and that's been really helpful. I think one thing that I've really missed, though, that's been a bit of a challenge is just being able to walk into a senior associate's office to ask just a real quick question. It doesn't necessarily translate as well when you have to send an email for those real quick questions that you could just ask face-to-face. But one way I, I really have been able to navigate that is by using the Java chat. And so for those quick questions, I just send it in a chat rather than sending an email or picking up a phone to schedule a call to ask. But other than that, it's been okay and, and it's, it's been working. It's really interesting that we're talking about virtual teams and having to work in virtual teams now. I mean, we're sitting here in the middle of a pandemic that none of us would have ever expected, I think, and just how we've had to change our ways of working. I'm curious now for our time for our signature question, it really kind of given the context of everything that's going on with us right now. For each of you, what would be your advice? What advice would you give to your younger 22-year-old self? For me, I would say relax. I know this is a cliche, but life is truly a journey. And it's not a, a sprint. It's a marathon. Your career, everything that you experience, relax and enjoy life. Enjoy this experience as an attorney, as a deal maker. In the beginning, you might be extremely stressed. I don't know what is going on, but you will eventually understand what is going on. You will become an expert at what you're doing. You will become extremely comfortable. And you want to enjoy that experience. Enjoy the experience. Enjoy learning. Enjoy understanding new terms. Celebrate your minor successes. It's okay to go out for dinner if you close a deal. It's okay to say, yes, I closed the deal. Even people may not do this anymore. It's okay to go out for dinner and celebrate that with your colleagues, with your family. I think I did not do a lot of that as a young attorney, as a a young person is really relax, really enjoy the journey. And so I think that is the advice that I would give to my 22 year old self. I guess another thing is, and I think someone else on the, might've touched on this is, you plan, and we've heard this for everything, you plan for everything, but be prepared for nothing to go as you planned. And that is something else that I would tell my 22-year-old self is go ahead, make the plan, try to make it as perfect as possible, but allow room for the imperfection, allow room to pivot when necessary, as we're all doing now (laughs) because of the COVID pandemic. Sounds great. Dami, what do you think? To my 22-year-old self, I will say don't be afraid to speak up and don't doubt yourself so much because I'm sure we've all been there where we have the instincts, but we just don't want to speak up. To Miranda's point, you know, as women, we tend to want everything to be perfect and we don't want to make that mistake. But I will tell my younger self not to be afraid because there have been so many times when I just a fear of speaking up or no one is to make a mistake. I kept quiet and then someone else said it and it turns out that my instinct was right to begin with. So I'd say trust your instincts and speak up 
And even when you make a mistake, you know, it's not the end of the world. You pick yourself up and you keep moving. I wanted to make a final statement. I don't know if this answers any specific questions directly. We mentioned a lot about diversity and inclusion and what it means and what happens. And one thing I think we don't truly focus on is how do we support each other as women? How do we support each other as attorneys? How do we support each other as deal makers? And it's really just understanding someone can have really great talent, but not progress or not be really great if they're not finding the sufficient amount of resources, support, and opportunity. And someone can have limited talent, but if they have sufficient resources, support, and opportunity, they can really excel. And I think the goal for all of us is to really seek ways where we ourselves can be that resource support and provide that opportunity for other women and also seek those opportunities for men and women. And I think that's something that it should be almost like a call of action to really focus on those three items, resources, support, and opportunity to make ourselves to provide resources, support, and opportunity for other women and also to seek out those things because talent itself, unfortunately, is not sufficient. With talent, with those other three ingredients makes for a very successful attorney, filmmaker, or any other professional. Sometimes we forget, you know, you can have a really talented professional and if we're not really nurturing that professional or nurturing that talent, it almost goes to waste. In the same vein, if you have someone with limited talent, but you really, really put in the resources, really nurture that limited talent, it can, that attorney professional can really excel and be an outstanding at whatever they're doing. And I think we as women need to really support one another, really help provide those resources. I can give you a really great example. Someone I met at a PE and finance networking event. She is at a marketing firm and I needed some research and I literally just called her and she provided that research, which really, really helped me to help my client. Now, it's not someone that we had this best relationship with I knew for 20 years or 30 years, but I was another fellow deal maker woman and she had the opportunity to assist me and she did. And in the same vein, when she came to me and asked me something about healthcare, I healthcare financing, I was able to provide the resources that she needed. And it's in those ways, nothing grand, but small gestures, taking someone out to lunch, taking someone out to dinner, saying, hey, how can I be of assistance to you? How can I help you? How can I help your career? I think that's the only way we're going to really move that needle forward. That's the only way we're really going to have the numbers that we're seeking is that we help each other, that if you are that first that you speak you seek to bring in that second, third, fourth, fifth person right behind you and make sure that they are getting the resources that they need, that they, they're getting the opportunities and also that they're getting the support. So I give you the opportunity to drop the credit agreement. I'm not just going to have you drop the credit agreement and then that's it. We're going to go through it. You're going to draft it. We're going to go through after the drafting session. I'm going to review it and we're going to sit down and I'm going to tell you the things that you could have done differently. I'm going to tell you the things that will help you when you're drafting with someone else, I'm going to give you tips and advice. And I think that's what we need in order to increase the numbers and see those numbers increase in our profession is to really, really be intentional about not just our own careers, but the careers of the other women 
in our circle and beyond our circle. Wow, Merlandi, thank you so much. That intention you mentioned and just being mindful of how we approach other women on our deal teams and in our field and in related fields is an excellent call to action for all of us. So thank you. Thank you for lending your advice and your guidance and your experience today. And Dami, thank you also for lending your advice and your experience. And thank you all for your time. I've really enjoyed this. And thank you for everyone listening. Thank you for joining us at the table for this episode of DLSN. If you have a recommendation for an inspiring interviewee, a question you'd like us to ask, or a topic you would like to hear covered, or if you'd like to tell us about women-focused initiatives in the field, please go to our website at www.dlsnpodcast.com. We look forward to hearing from you. 